Adams or somebody about if you're good Jew, you've got to be a shepherd. And of course, Jesus is saying, you know, I'm the good shepherd, I'm a shepherd. I'm not a euphemic. You know, I don't cut your mold, but I am the, the good shepherd. And so, he is not only wealthy enough to own the, uh, the humble, but he has got the desire to actually be the shepherd himself. And oddly enough, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, God says, I'm your shepherd, and I, even I, who own you, will seek you out. Uh, he's playing on that point, that although I, I own you all, I will be a shepherd to you. So, this is the thing, that God humbles himself to have this special interest in <coughs> us. Now, the point is, of course, that God is in search of man, that God is not passive. God is not saying, look, I did everything, I, I gave you my son, I gave you the Bible, I've done enough for you guys, it's now over to you. He is in search of man, and that is why we read about King David, that God found him. He says to King Saul, when he gets rid of Saul, he says, I have found me a man after my own heart. So God was searching. Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, go and run around the streets of the city until you find, if you can find, someone who's got a heart for me. So God is in search of man. In that sense, man is not alone. In that sense, God needs man. God is in need of man, in a, in a funny sense. So, what I'm saying is that God is actively seeking. Actively seeking. There's three parables here. There's going to be the lost sheep, that we just read, where a sheep goes lost, and the shepherd goes to find it. And then he tells a parable about a woman who loses a coin, and she goes and looks for the coin, and she finds it. And then there's a parable of the prodigal son, where the boy goes off, blows his father's money, and then comes back. But with the lost sheep and the lost coin, these are things that can't do anything. It's not on the coin, for example, through legs and trying to find its owner. The sheep, I'm not a shepherd, right? But I did stay years ago with a sheep farmer in New Zealand. And we talked about this parable, and he said that when a sheep gets lost, and it knows it's lost, it freezes. It freezes to the spot. So it's not that the sheep or the lost coin were trying desperately to get back. The initiative was all with the shepherd, the, whom I would call the fanatic shepherd, who says, one is lost, I will go for the one. I will try and find this one lost. And is so obsessed, if you like, about it that he leaves the 99. This is how God is working with us. And sometimes you meet people whom you think are so far gone that you can't do nothing with them. They might be so hardcore alcoholic, so hardcore into drugs. They might be so bitter and twisted, quite, quite frankly. But you think, oh, I don't think you're going to straighten it out. You won't straighten it out too far back. But that's like the sheep that is frozen to the spot in fear and can't move. It's like the coin that's got lost. It can't do anything, but it will be found. And so this is what we're dealing with, that God is in search of man. 
And can you imagine that he's looking down here at Croydon, for example, and there's stacks of people here, and he's searching around trying to find people. And he's, what does he find? He finds one bloke and one girl who says, yes, I'm looking, I'm serious, I'm interested. And that is so exciting for God that he has found somebody. He's found somebody. Somebody has said yes. At the very least, somebody. It doesn't mean that we're so pious or so righteous. So, when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, visually, if you can imagine it, right, what does this look like? He's a shepherd, right? And he's got the sheep on his shoulder holding it like this. And he's walking bowed down like this. Now, walking around bowed down like that, that vision is exactly the image of Jesus carrying the cross, which would have been across his back. Exactly the same image. When you look at the children's Bibles, illustrations in them, you see this happy, smiling sheepy on the back of the kind old shepherd, and as the sheep is smiling, all happy now I've been found. Is that actually how it is? Do you think that sheep like being carried on the back of a man? No. The sheep would be filthy dirty, kicking desperately to get free, probably doing poos all down the back of the shepherd. That's how it would be. And yet, that's us. That we have been found. But we are not so squeaky clean. We are kicking and resisting, actually. Now, when we played these, you know, oh, that great Jehovah, that God, yeah, that great Jehovah. And it's, you know, a good, beautiful cathedral, a beautiful scene and all that. And everybody messed up to the minds and all that stuff. I'm not saying they're not sincere as individuals, it's not for really <coughs> But, but, something there is not quite the case. That is not quite the case, because we are all actually resistant. We're the sheep that is on the back of the shepherd, just like Jesus was carrying you know, us on the cross. <coughs> and that's how it is, that we are being rescued by him, but we don't really know what's happening. The sheep didn't really understand what was happening to it. And neither do we really understand what is happening to us. But we have been found and we go. And we're not jumping off the shoulders. So, I keep saying that it appears a friendly little story, but in all the parables of Jesus, there are these elements of unreality. Something that isn't quite, doesn't fit. And it's that bit that doesn't fit that I think is the point. Like he says, who leaves my denying the wilderness and goes and looks after the one? Well, the answer to that is nobody, apart from Jesus. The other thing, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours. So he brings the sheep to his home. Well, do you think sheep like to be in homes? Um, no. They feel a bit weird that they are in someone's house. They want to be at the earth. And I think the idea is that, that the friends and neighbours will think, 
Oh, you haven't got invited home to your place, what, to eat with a sheep? Well, what quite is the point of that, to eat with a sheep? Yeah, calm down, you feel the sheep, okay, get over it. And, and that is what is so unusual about the true church. Our thing began with the Pharisees saying, oh, you shouldn't be, um, you shouldn't be eating with sinners. And he's saying, I'm eating with sinners because I've found what is lost. So that's the context, you see, of why I'm looking, he's saying, why I'm looking for, what, sorry, why I'm eating with sinners. But this is a big thing in the Gospels as you read them. Jesus is there eating, for example, with prostitutes and tax collectors, I shouldn't say publicans and sinners, we've got a few good publicans around here in the pub, but um, he's eating with them and people say, oh, but you shouldn't be. And he's explaining why he does it, and he says, I'm doing it because you've repented, but I haven't repented. Now, you see the difference? That religion, per se, is saying, here's a bar, now here's a bar, you've got to jump over it. And for example, the church I grew up in, and the grave grew up in, if you were divorced and remarried, oh, that's no deal. But that's, that's a deal breaker, you're out. If you're divorced and remarried, finish. Uh, right, so they're saying there's a bar, and if you get over the bar, oh yeah, okay, you'll be good. If you can't make it, no good. Jesus is saying, look, I fellowship with people at my table in order to bring them to repentance. So you see the difference. He accepts us as we are so that we might change. He doesn't say, if you change, then I accept you. He says, I accept you as you are right now because I love you. I accept you right now. And that is what's going to make you change. It is that grace, it is that experience of it which will make you change. That's, that's the idea. So, he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner than repentance than over 99 who need no repentance. So, there is joy in heaven, and he's going to say in the next parable, joy amongst the angels of God. That literally means that when someone repents, then all the angels of God are electric about it. They're so happy about it. Let's just go on. <coughs> or what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doesn't light a lamp and sweeps the house and seeks diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Even so I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. <coughs> You'll notice that he's just given a parable about a man, a shepherd. Now he, parallel, he sort of parallels that with a, a, a parable about a woman. So, Again, you see how, I'm not saying Jesus was like a radical feminist, but all the same, he is matching, uh, showing that he has equal interest in men and women. Well, this woman has got ten pieces of silver, and she loses one piece. You've got to remember that for women in those days, they owned nothing. 
I owned nothing. They did not even own their own body. They didn't own their clothes. It all belonged to the husband. And so this woman has lost one of her ten pieces, but the one thing that she did have that was her very own was this ten, these ten pieces of silver they worn on their forehead and their wrist and so on. That was her dowry. That's what she got when she got married. That was the only bit of life that was her very own. Her body wasn't her own, the kids weren't her own, her husband, the sandals weren't hers, everything was his, apart from her ten pieces of silver. The fact she lost one of them was therefore a very personal loss. She had lost something very personal. That is my very own. And so this woman who's lost something and is distressed, that was mine. You see, that is how Jesus feels about each of us. He really does. And it's why he wants to find us. This woman likes a lamp. Now what's the lamp? Well, <clears throat> we are the light of the world. We are the candle of the world. We are the light. We are the mechanism, if you like, that it uses to find that one that is lost. And again, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found that which was lost. And likewise, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repent. Well, that means that when someone, for example, gets baptized, they repent and get baptized. Or when we all at some point in our lives repent of sin, something happens in heaven. Something is electric up there in heaven. And so it really is the case that, for example, there's a woman here, 10.30 at night, let's say, in a flat just around here in Croydon. And she's opened the window and she's smoking a cigarette out the window. And it's night, she's up in the sky. And she remembers that abortion she had 10 years ago. And she remembers how she was unfaithful to a good husband and messed his life up. And she thinks, oh, God, you know, I'm sorry. I can't, do, I can't put my blocks back, but I'm like I am. That woman, as she's smoking a cigarette out of, out of the top floor window of a flat in Croydon, up in heaven, Angels are rejoicing. And this is what faith is, seeing there's another world out there. But this world that we've got is what you see with your eyes. But beyond here, there is a real world out there, a real world. Where God has got all those angels and he is looking and thrilled. Or again, there's a tram stop. And the tram is going you know, along with you adding to the tram. And there's a bunch of people waiting for the tram. And there's a bloke who walks a little bit away from the, uh, the crowd. And he, well, let's say, he lights up a cigarette. And he thinks about how he used to sell drugs 10 years ago to kids and you know, mess their lives up. Oh, God, I can't put the time. I just can't put the clock back. But God, I'm sorry. Up there, there is. <laughs> something electric. It's like the angels having a party. Now going back to the context, verse 1 and 2 we saw that 
Jesus is saying, why, this is to explain why I eat with sinners. And he's saying, I eat with sinners because when a sinner repents, there's a party up in heaven that they all eat, as it were. So I'm reflecting that. So, really God is in search of man. And we can be used, because we can be the candle that's used to find people like this, to find the lust. We are the candle. We can be used, and will be used. And so, God is searching. God is not passive. God is not facing off against man over an open Bible or something and saying, well, you figure it out, I'll sort of be here for you. He takes the initiative. And this is why Paul says, it is not so much that we know God, but rather that we are known of Him. He has taken that initiative in coming into our lives, and He will keep on nudging and jogging you to keep you on that track. Now, this is different. Totally, a totally different conception to go to church once a week or once a month or whatever and do a ritual and then you're good. Ticking boxes. This is getting into relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus. Because you ask yourself, well, who's the shepherd? Well, yes, it is Jesus, it is God, through Jesus. But it is also us. And it is also, you know, as I say, we are the candle. And we are special to God, that we are like that coin of the dowry that the woman lost. And we are that special. And yet we live in a world that's dumbed us down. That dumbed us down to think that I'm a totally obscure, meaningless person. That I'm not beautiful, I'm not handsome, I'm not lucky, I'm not wealthy, I'm not that healthy. I'm not whatever, I'm just a cog in this, in this machine of society. And the good news of the gospel is that we are significant, but there is meaning to the human person. There is value to the human person. That we are special in that sense. And so special that God would give his only begotten son to die for our sins. We do have meaning. And it is that total lack of meaning that people have, lack of significance that leads to depression, that leads to addictions, that leads to, let's say, just a total give up attitude to life. But I am nothing. My life has not been meaningful. You know, Victor Frankl, concentration camp survivor, was the guy who writes a book, Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. But can I get through all that, you know? 99 guys scribbled to the left of me, another 200 scribbled to the right of me, and I survived. And what for? Well, man's search for me. And this is how it is. And there is meaning to us once you see that you matter. And not only do you matter, but people matter. Persons matter. Because we have been chosen. And God has this plan and purpose for us that he is searching until he finds. And he will not give up. The shepherd searches until he finds. The woman searches until she finds that problem. 
He will not give up. He will keep going with you right up until you're facing your grave place. I mean, he will absolutely keep on with you. But of course, if you surrender and say, oh, yeah, I'm fair. Oh, yeah. There is no greater way to be. There is no greater life to live. There really isn't. Well, what we're going to do now is um, we're going to do the uh, breaking of bread. And we're going to pray for the bread, pray for the wine, and we're going to take that. And then after that, Ollie is going to give us his testimony, which um, I've heard bits and pieces of, but I want to hear it all in one shot. Because um, he was chatting to everybody before we started, and I was running around one thing or another, I heard bits and pieces of it, and I hear the whole deal. So, all that these wonderful things we can say are possible because the Lord died on the cross and rose again. And we are told that we are to remember that. And I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul explains what the breaking of bread means. And he says, I received of the Lord Jesus what I have delivered unto you. But the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, <coughs> The idea of doing this is it's a way of identifying. I believe that Jesus is real. I believe that on a day like on a Friday afternoon, 2,000 years ago, I believe that he actually died. I believe that this happened and that he rose again. I absolutely believe that this for sure happened. That he died, rose again. That this is absolutely for real. And so we do this in order to show our identity with him. That yes, I have said yes to him. I want to be part of him. I'm not that good. I'm not smart. I'm not pious, righteous, whatever person. But I want to be part of him. And yes, I say yes to him. This is the simple way of doing this. So, if you want to bow your heads, let's, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you love us and that you are searching for us. And we thank you that you have found us. We just want to identify with you and with your plan and your purpose that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, in your Son. And we see in this bread the symbol of his body given for us and we see in the cup the symbol of his blood and father we pray that we might be touched by the fact that he died for me and that he finds some special meaning and we pray that we might respond and say yes on the way to him for Jesus sake would you like to pass around the, uh, the, the cups? Uh, sorry, the, the bread first of all. Oh, shit.
just take a little piece of the bread as a symbol of his body. So this cup then represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a mystery that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, but he also loved you and gave himself for you. It is a mystery. But it is nonetheless true that he died for me. But we are not alone. Jesus is real. But there is in heaven a real person called the Lord Jesus who was here on earth, who knows our human experience, had our nature, knows exactly how it all is, who died for me. And he did this because he loved me, as he said himself. No man has weighed a lot from this or a man laid down his life for his friends. And you are his friends, he says. But we are his friends. So, Greater love has no man than this, when he laid down his life for his friends. So, I can't find the words to get it all over how wonderful it is that he gave his life, that we have somebody who actually gave his life for me. That this is not a theory, this is absolutely how it is. That there is an actual person who gave his life for me. So let's, uh, let's just try to thank God for the cup. Heavenly Father, here we are in this cup, taking this cup in memory of the blood of your dear Son. And we pray, Heavenly Father, with all our hearts, that he might come into our lives and that we might abide with him and that we might live forever because he is. So accept us as we make our little act of identification with him. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So let's, uh, let's just drink the cup. Right, well, before we uh, have something to eat, um, I'd like to say that um, there's a couple of announcements that I really recommend you get this app, Bible Companion app. There's a few of the cards advertising it there. It's on Apple and on uh, Android. There's a study Bible's there, the green ones, please take them with you. We'll be here next week. You can take one for your friend. And uh, we'll be here again next week and bring some more people. And uh, I believe we'll have uh, more people next week, I believe. But before we get stuck into the roast, um, I was wondering, Cindy, if you could, uh, can you just remind Martin that we'll be eating in 10 minutes or so? Well, I think all of us, but um, how many people want chicken? Who wants chicken or want beef? Beef, please.
I downloaded an app on my phone, I downloaded a file. I'll bear in mind at this point, I was so stressed and my mind was so all over the place. I was drinking alcohol every day, trying to block out all the pain and thoughts. And pretty much that night, I downloaded the Bible and read the book of Proverbs. And I was just reading it from Proverbs chapter 1 all throughout. I can't remember how far I thought it was about 3 in the morning. Next day, I put down the phones that I was selling the drugs from. I had this feeling that was the power of God over me, pulled me away from it. I could put through the SIM cards away that I was using. I managed to found myself the first job in like years, pretty much, to then start working after paying this debt. By the power of God, these people, they didn't come after me because I explained to them, look, I'm going to work, pay off these debts. And this was, um, this was just over a year ago when this happened. And then pretty much my walk with Jesus has just been growing and growing every day. I've come away from all these people and back um, reunited with my son as a father. Um, I don't see any of these people anymore that I used to know about with, so it's just me and the family. And yeah, every day I wake up, first thing I'm doing is I'm reading my Bible, praying, that's what I do before I go to bed. Staying far away from the streets, from any alcohol, that's, that's it. I mean, I could go on for hours and tell you, but I'm a bit nervous right now, being up here trying to do it, because I haven't, I haven't uh, given a testimony like this up before in front of people. But yeah, that's, that's sort of my story briefly. There's a lot more to it, but I'd have to be here for hours to be honest. But yeah, that's, that's fine. So, um, you know, what would you tell me to do every morning? Yeah, man, so I'm a beer man. That's my job. So, yeah, I've, got, yeah, I've got to be at the council depot for six in the morning um, every day. So what I do, I don't like rushing around. I have to read my Bible in the morning. So I set an alarm before, before at 4 a.m. So the first thing I do, I wake up at 4 and say a prayer, read the Bible until about 5. And like I like to then uh, have a shower, have my breakfast and stuff, get into work. That's what I do every day. Um, and then obviously before bed I read my Bible as well. But that's what like powers me up, gets me ready. Because especially from like coming from such a dark place and a world of like serious sin that I was in, I feel like you need you need to read the word of God before you go out in the world. And it's like it's your shield, and that's that that is what it is. You need it, it's your shield. It says um, you know the the word is the sword, you know, of the spirit, and that's why I do it every day. So I'd use that and that's that's what gets me through like every day and I've been growing, reading, um, yeah, I, 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 so I, I started on the, um, I actually started doing the New Testament, gone through a couple of Bibles as well, right now I've been using like one called the Geneva Bible, it's an old uh, translation from like 1560, that's, uh, I really like that version, honestly it just speaks to me in a way that other stones, so I've been going, well, I've done the New Testament and so I've gone back to Genesis and I've been going through now, so I'm on like second Chronicles. Hopefully going to get towards the end. I've had a little bit of like a break in between where I've been thrown off my, like, with the pace of it. But yeah, that's what I do every day, just read. Um, yeah, I don't have any social media anymore, I throw that away. So like, my spare time when I'm not like, when, I, when I'm not, you know, looking after my boy, I'm, you know, with my partner, my fiance, that's it, I'm just reading the word. And that's what's got me to here. And that's how I know, like, I look at how I was back back when I was living, like, when I was a drug dealer. And yeah, you know, a lot of people say to you, like, God's not real, Jesus isn't real. I say, look at me, man, because people see it. And, and I say to people, if it was just a storybook, yeah, like, a lot of people think it's a myth, it's a storybook, it's a load of nonsense. I say, it could, if it was just a story, it couldn't, it couldn't have done what it's done to me. If you guys saw me like what a year, about two years ago, I'd be a completely different person, not like how I am now. So, yeah. That's
that's that's my story. That's amazing because I mean that's really the evidence that God is real. Jesus is real. This afternoon we're going to baptize Ollie in water. And by the way, if anyone wants to be baptized, have a word with Cindy or me, and we can sort that out as well. Just into Jesus. Um, what was your life in churches like? What was your, how did you go with churches and all that stuff? Uh, so I went to I didn't really feel like I was fitting in. Um, I didn't feel like they were teaching. I felt like it was more based on like um, throwing your hands up in the air, sort of in worship and singing and loads of instruments and bands. And a lot of like clubs and things within the church, but none of it was really like hard preaching. You know, I was thinking this is just like a social club. It wasn't like a you were coming to learn. I know fellowship's important, but I feel like you've got to have fellowship with people who actually want to study the Bible and teach you and they give each other ideas. I felt like it wasn't that well. It was quite like wishy-washy, diluted, watered down. So yeah, that's why I came away from the church and I was certain, yeah, then I started studying it myself. And it, my walk with God actually got much better and stronger when I left the church, believe it or not. But obviously hard feeling like, especially for me, I'm 26, hard feeling like I'm just doing this solo mission, trying to read every day. Sometimes it is hard, sometimes I get thrown off. And I've got um, like a friend, I've got like my mate, he, Dave, he's he's quite a lukewarm Christian. So I've been trying to have chats with him about things, but obviously it's good. You know, I started introducing him into the other Bibles and whatnot. And he, it's good, I can have like a few chats with him, but other than that, I don't really have anyone to talk to. So it's quite... Yeah, it's quite hard. Um, I saw why I came, like I saw this because I was looking at baptisms and stuff online, and then I saw a church in a pub. I thought, well, why not? <laughs> 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 it's not what I mean, what I've got anything to lose, so I might as well come and see what it's like. Yeah, but that's pretty much my yeah with the churches. And another thing as well, the reason why I've been waiting so long to get baptized is because I've seen. I don't agree, right, with how they try to baptize you in churches. Trying to say that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not how the disciples were doing it in Acts, and I've noticed that massively. So that's partly as well why I've waited to get baptized. But I thought if I'm going to be getting baptized, I want to be making sure that it's uh, the way the disciples are doing it, you know, because that's what we're supposed to do. So that's that's why I've waited, yeah, waited a while to come away from not committing the church, I guess. I feel like a lot of um, like the Church of England and stuff. I feel like it was just sort of rebranded and they called it Church of England, but it's still got a lot of Catholicism in there. You know, this, but yeah, I mean, I've been a dog for a long time about that. But, yeah. Anyway, praise God. It's absolutely amazing.